It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. So a recent poll shows that religion is just not as important in this country as it used to be. 39% say that it's very important in the most recent Wall Street Journal survey. And that's down 20 points since 1998. That's a huge decline. So what's, what's going on out there? Why are we seeing that kind of change in people saying that religion is a less important part of their life? I would also note that money is the one thing that went up over that time period. So with that in mind and also bringing in a larger context to this conversation, let's bring in Dallas Jenkins, who is creator, director and co-writer of The Chosen, which is the first multi-season series. There are three seasons that are out about the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Dallas, I am so grateful to you for this series. Uh, It has truly been a game changer for me and for my family in the way that we look at the life of Jesus and the way that we talk talk about it with each other and the way that we understand the gospel. So I thank you, first of all. Thank you very, very much for what you've done. Thank you so much for having having me on. It's an honor. So I I think, you know, one of the things that is so great about what you've done with this series is that it makes Jesus um, kind of a regular guy, but God. And that's a tough thing to do. I mean, this could have been a complete disaster, right? (laughs) But it's not. It's just that the tone is so perfect and Jonathan Rumi is so perfect. So I want to give people at home a sense who maybe haven't seen it uh, of just a feel for what it's like. This is one of my favorite scenes. It's the conversation in season one between Nicodemus and Jesus. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. All about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it. So the setup there is, for those who don't know, is that Nicodemus is very skeptical, um, but he's nervous because he thinks something's going on. He thinks this person might actually be the Messiah. He's starting to hear about miracles. So tell me a little bit about your approach here, Dallas, and how you took this on. Well, what's interesting about the scene you just showed is that it comes in episode seven of season one. So instead of just like what we've seen in past Jesus projects, where you just go from miracle to miracle, Bible verse to Bible verse, we actually took multiple episodes to set up who Nicodemus was, what the cultural context, what the historical context was, so that by the time you get to that moment that we all know from Scripture, which is the most famous chapter in the Bible, John chapter 3, the conversation you just showed is based on the verse that you see at, at football games, John 3.16. Well, in our show, we make it matter. We make you care about the characters and know what's at stake so that when you get to that point, it's even more impactful. And so that's the key to the show. I think that's the secret sauce is that you are, as you watch it, can identify with the people around Jesus. You recognize, Mm -hmm. wow, I have the same questions, concerns, and doubts that they had 2,000 years ago. Maybe the answer is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And and I've said to a lot 
lot of people, when you start watching it, you know, stick with it through those first few episodes because you're meeting the chosen. You're meeting the people in their own lives and contexts that Jesus is, is choosing. And it's, it's a fascinating way to, to tell the story. But you see the number that we just showed about what's going on in the country. So tell me how you see that number, because you also see this enormous response to the chosen and to what you're doing. Well, The Chosen was in many ways, besides my own personal calling and my own personal desire to tell this story, I think it's birthed in many ways by what you saw, by the numbers that you saw. Mm -hmm. People are losing interest in religion, they're losing interest in faith at record numbers. But I don't think that means that their hearts are still not seeking something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we hear from people all over the world, and, and particularly in this country, is that the show, as you said, is a game changer for them. And what I think they're saying more often than anything else is, I've had maybe a bad experience with church, or the media's portrayal of what church is or what religion is has soured me on it. Your show is reminding me that this can be about just a personal relationship with Jesus, as opposed to formal religion. Or maybe religion or my faith or my relationship with Jesus doesn't necessarily have to look like wow, how it's been portrayed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been the key. And I think we can also learn from what Jesus had to say about it. He was saying, life is not about you die to yourself. And the stat that's most concerning is not just that there's been a decline in religion or decline in faith, but that there's been an increase in an interest in money. And that's a increase in selfishness, an increase in a desire to please ourselves. And that's what Jesus was most about, was saying, I need you to surrender to me. I need you to surrender something bigger or someone bigger than yourself. That someone is me, but you need to die to the things that you care so deeply about that you try to hold on to. And I think the show is speaking to that and the show is offering a little bit of a bright spot, perhaps some hope mm -hmm. in the midst of those numbers you just described. As I mentioned to you, I was just in Israel with my family and, and some friends, and there were moments when we were in places and we said, oh yeah, this is season two. Remember this part? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but it does, you know, it helps you kind of, and, and I, you're just talking about, I'm thinking of Jesus throwing over the, the you know, money changing tables in, and I'm looking forward to that part of, of your um, season. So you want to do seven seasons. Talk to us about how this has been funded because you really, you know, started on a shoestring. Well, we started on we started on nothing. I mean, we, uh, we we didn't have a traditional studio or network that was putting up the big money for this. Uh, this was all funded based on a short film I did for my church's Christmas Eve service. It was filmed on my friend's farm in Illinois, mm -hmm. 20 minutes from my house, and I was coming off of a big career failure. Uh, my my big box office opportunity it totally bombed, and so I was kind of surrendered. And I said, all right, let's do this short film for my church. That ultimately led to over 16,000 people crowdfunding over $10 million for season Easy. one. So compared to the big Hollywood productions, that's, that is a shoestring. Uh, for, you know, $10 million sounds like a lot, but it goes pretty quickly. But that was allowed us, uh, allowed us to do season one. And then when we decided to make the show free and give people the choice if they wanted to pay for it or not, that's when things really changed and uh, more people saw it than ever, but we also became more reliant than ever on people choosing to keep us going. So as I talk to you now, we're in the middle of shooting season four. Season five comes next year. Season five is when we do the uh, money changing and the, you know, mm. the, the knocking over all the tables in the temple. Uh, so there's a lot more to come, but it's been quite extraordinary to, 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 to realize that 
when you do this based on your fans' response, uh, it's it, it's scary and exciting at the same time. I want to play something for you that, that caught my attention because it, it sort of goes to some of the other rhythms that are going on right now in the country and in the world that I think might hopefully reveal some movement in all of this. And, and this is Alyssa Brito from the Oklahoma softball team, recent winners of the Women's College World Series. And they were interviewed uh, right before the big game. And, and listen to what they told this reporter. Watch. I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships. We've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. That is not the typical uh, news conference that you hear from from college athletes, Dallas. What goes through your mind as you listen to those young women? Well, first of all, of course, I identify with that perspective. If you really do have your foundation on the rock, if your foundation is secure, then the ups and downs, the happiness or sadness really is irrelevant compared to lifelong joy. That said, it's interesting that those kinds of comments 20 years ago, 30 years ago, would have been actually fairly normal. It wouldn't have been that much of a surprise. Now, when you hear that, it goes viral because people are going, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. What a shock. Yeah. (laughs) And so uh, there's something there. Actually, there's something kind of cool about it because when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, it was in the middle of a time and in a setting that wasn't very, uh, that was pretty hostile as well uh, to to faith. And I think uh, maybe we can learn a little bit from that and not be quite so demanding that the world do everything that we want them to do. And maybe we can find our joy within the midst of some of the persecution they might be facing. Yeah. Um, I want to play one more clip and just get a quick thought on this uh, as we continue here. Let's watch this one. He performs miracles and seeks no credit. What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So that's Mary Magdalene, for those who haven't seen it. And that's after she has an encounter with Jesus and she's cured of of her demons. And so that's her after her transformation. What has it been like for these actors, Dallas, to be part of this experience? I, I'm sure that that's a question that could have days long answer. But but talk to people about that. Well, yeah, I don't t- t- typically talk publicly about, of course, the actor's personal faith or experience, but uh, Liz Tabish, who just plays Mary Magdalene miraculously, it's a truly extraordinary performance, has publicly said that the show has changed her and that uh, that, that quote, which was written by my, my co-writer about uh, being one way and now completely different, uh, applied to her as well. It applies to us. It applies to the show. I think it's probably the defining moment of the show and the defining quote of the show because it speaks to what happens when you 
mutually have that kind of an encounter with Jesus. And what's interesting about the show is, is that we're not demanding that you have that same encounter. The show has tons of fans who aren't believers. Most of our cast and crew actually aren't believers, although sometimes that changes. But uh, we're just saying, this is the story as authentically as we can portray it. You, of course, make the decision as to what it's going to do in your heart or do in your life. But at the very least, maybe you can appreciate a historical drama about the most influential figure in history. But for the cast and crew, they're just having a, an extraordinary time watching the show grow from something that we didn't even know if we were going to have future seasons or anything like that to becoming, by all measures, one of the most viewed shows in the world. So they're dealing with some of that, too, some of the some of the joys and some of the pressures and, and expectations of audiences and, and some of the ups and downs that that can, that that can bring mm -hmm. up. But the show itself, we're just trying to focus on the work. And as we do season four right now, we're focused on making sure that nothing changes in our work, that we're still doing it for the right reasons, that we're still focused on the work and not getting distracted by the success or the, any, any uh, resistance that we face. The Untold Story continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Yeah, you're answering a question that is one of the things I want to ask you about. So how does success impact, you know, what started as this small scale project? And I know you've been shooting in, in Texas, right? And you're, you're going to be shooting in Utah as well, I believe, in, in, in some of the coming seasons. But really the heart of it, I mean, it's hard to say who's the heart of it because they're all so good. But Jonathan Rumi, and I've watched a lot of, you know, Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur and lots of different portrayals over the course of my life of Jesus. Um, he brings humor to it in, in a way that is just so relatable and it makes you realize, you know, well, of course Jesus had, had friends. He was, you know, he spent 33 years here on earth and he had friends here and related to them. Talk to me about his portrayal and finding him. That's extraordinary. About 10 years ago, actually, uh, is when I found Jonathan. I was doing another short film for my church. It was about the crucifixion from the perspective of the two thieves on the cross. And, mm. and uh, we were filming it in a rock quarry in Illinois. And uh, I was auditioning uh, actors for that. Jonathan auditioned for Jesus. And as I've told before, 10 seconds into his audition, I remember thinking, this is one of the best portrayals of Jesus I've ever seen. I, yeah. He captures the, uh, the the humanity of Jesus in a way that usually isn't captured. Usually Bible projects are very stiff, formal, a little bit emotionally distant. Mm -hmm. You start to wonder, how would Jesus have had thousands of people flocking to him if he was this boring? Uh, but Jonathan <laughs> captures that while also not denying, of course, the divinity of God, yeah. the divinity of Christ, and that he did do miracles, and he was supernatural, and he was the Son of God. So finding that balance is actually very difficult and Jonathan portrays it uh, absolutely beautifully and like you mentioned the humor that actually I would put on the Mount Rushmore of reasons why people seem to respond to the show is that humor is very relatable it's very human and it's also authentic when you see Jesus dancing with his friends at a wedding telling jokes with his friends laughing at their jokes it makes you go wow the creator of the universe actually was one of us and had friends and and danced with his friends and told jokes that makes it even more impactful and makes you want to know even more and I think uh, Jonathan has a great sense of comic timing on the set we talk about that like how do we how do we find the right timing for this particular joke we spend as much time on that as we do some of the bigger stuff because all of it's important because it all reflects the totality of who Jesus is you know I, I was talking to someone about it the other day and in, in a way I there's 
kind of a Shakespeare comparison for me because when you read it on the page, um, sometimes you know you don't see the humor and you don't see the human nature in it. And then when you see Shakespeare really really right. well performed yes. it leaps off and it feels modern it feels contemporary it feels like the way people talk which is difficult to do um, with that kind of with that kind of uh, writing and I, I think it's similar in terms of what you have done in you know I heard someone say it's like black and white you know the Bible's black and white but the, the chosen is is in color don't yeah, I, and it's so, so great that you point that out. I actually did Shakespeare in college, and the, the trick that we convinced each other of was we started by saying, let's say these lines um, in, in normal vernacular, like not Shakespeare. Right. What do these lines mean? Let's talk about, let's, let's so we actually would, would rehearse sometimes using normal words and deliver it that way, memorize how we were delivering it, and then apply that delivery to the Shakespeare language. And that's it did exactly what you said. That's a great analogy because once we started delivering the Shakespeare in normal, like we would carry ourselves physically and use even the facial expressions that were normal as opposed to stiff and formal and right. presentational, it unlocked everything for people. And I think that's a big part yeah. of The Chosen. Is I, And I even tell people when they audition, sometimes they'll audition for The Chosen treating it like a typical Bible project. And they come in with a, a British accent and they, they're yeah. very stiff. And I go, okay, that's a wrong show. Yeah. Let's try the humanity. And it instantly unlocks it Releases and it makes everything come, yeah. come through. I, come I did life. some Shakespeare in college too and we did similar exercises and it does definitely, it shakes it all up. And, and the, the language is there, which is obviously the case with the stories that you're working with as well. Um, so you right. can rely on it. And, it. and they're great stories and you don't have to, you know, they're there. Uh, the language is there for you, which is pretty incredible. Um, you know, from a, from a business perspective, Dallas, uh, you know, I've heard that other projects would like to model what you did with the crowdfunding because people do get absorbed in series that they fall in love with and they want them to keep going. And I know you now have a deal with Lionsgate, right? So you're kind of taking this to a different model now. T tell us a little bit about that from a business perspective. Well, to be clear, Lionsgate is taking on third-party distribution, so they're going to be distributing the show to broadcasters and other streaming platforms around the world. And the model is the same, meaning we're still doing what we do. Lionsgate recognizes that what we've done to get to this point and the audience development that we've got shouldn't be messed with. So we're going to continue that relationship with the audience, and our social media is significant, uh, and, and, and we don't want to stop doing that. We don't want to forget where we came from. But to reach a larger audience. There are certain things that Lionsgate can do that we can't do, and audiences they can reach that we can't. And as long as the content doesn't change, and they don't want to mess with the content on any level, then we're thrilled. And we're not only resistant, we're thrilled uh, to, for, for them to, uh, to, to take this to a larger audience and to, to reach places that we can't. So it's the marrying of the two models that I think is really extraordinary, an extraordinary opportunity for the show because there are audiences who might not want to go download a new app because our show is totally free on the Chosen app and you can find that anywhere. But there are some people who are like, I don't want to download a new app or crowdfunding makes the show feel like it's a little small, like it's a little shoestring and, 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 and Lionsgate recognizes, oh, this is actually a real show. This is a show that can, can holds up against any other show that we watch. So let's get it into some of those places where people are already watching and consuming their TV. And I think that's going to be a model for us moving forward with potentially other projects. Yeah. Uh, we can't talk about quite yet, but uh, obviously are you there's do the Old a Testament lot of stories next? in the book. I'm sorry, what's that? Are you going to do the Old Testament next? 
Well, uh, as you know, there's already some Old Testament on our, sh on our show, but yes. uh, for sure uh, there are discussions being had. Uh, right now, I still want to focus on making sure season four is great, but uh, we would be uh, foolish if we weren't uh, exploring other options because it's the first question I get from audiences who meet me in public is, yeah. are you going to do the book of Acts? Are you going to do other stories from the Bible? Right. And if, look, if I can be doing that the rest of my life, uh, I, I'd have very little to complain yeah, happy about. happy man. Um, so it, you say there are going to be seven seasons. Can you give us a sense of how far we get in, in seven seasons? Sure. In um, the story? Yeah. Spo spoiler alert, Jesus does die, and yes. he does actually then resurrect. I, I'm, I'm guessing <laughs> you knew that. that. Part. Yes. But I don't want to ruin it for others. But uh, season six is when we cover the crucifixion, and then season seven is the resurrection and the aftermath. We've made that uh, public. So uh, we're not going to go all the way into the book of Acts and all, you know, the starting of the future church. That, that's something that we'll do down mm -hmm. the road, perhaps, uh, in, a, in a show or movies. But um, we definitely want to cover what most projects haven't, which is those 30, 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead uh, were very interesting, and they don't, they're do not they not typically covered, but the disciples were kind of reconciling that, the people who saw Jesus after his resurrection. Something happened in that time that caused the followers of Jesus to become completely sold out for him, willing to die, willing to go to the ends of the earth, and clearly they wouldn't have done that if they hadn't seen something extraordinary, and so uh, we cover a lot of that in season seven. So that's, that's about the, that's the gist of, of, of where we're headed. Yeah, uh, that, that's, that's great. I had the same question that you said others do too, you know, in terms of seeing Peter, you know, go to Rome or seeing Paul go to, um, you know, Turkey. Seeing, seeing the, the expansion of the faith through these individuals, I think, would be fascinating. So I hope you, I hope you do get to, to tell that part of the story. But um, in closing, I, I mentioned to you that I had just been to Israel and uh, you said that you were there shortly before you started this project. What about that trip impacted your future? It's funny, when, when people go to Israel, oftentimes they're looking for a, a holy experience in many ways. It's called the Holy Land. And the first couple of days, I, 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 I think I might have been overthinking it and I, I, I was appreciating it, but I wasn't having that kind of like, yeah. wow, I'm walking where Jesus walked kind of moment until I went to Magdala. Magdala is the birthplace of Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. And they found a uh, a, an old synagogue there just 20, 30 years ago. They were digging to build a, 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 uh, a cafeteria for a, for, a, for a construction project and uncovered this synagogue that clearly was over 2,000 years old and clearly was a place Jesus would have been. And I went there and I was in the synagogue and I started praying and I said, because it was, I, I was thinking about Mary Magdalene. And I said, please God help me tell her story right. I don't want to screw her up. And I felt God really pressed hard on my heart in a way that um, it, it wasn't a clear voice or anything like that, but it was almost as clear as a voice. But I felt God just saying, like, in, in several years, um, the chosen is going to be what people have in their minds when they think of my followers, and I'm not going to let you screw it up. Now, at the time, of course, I don't know how much of that is my own voice or God's voice at all, but a couple years into it, when people started saying to me all over the world that the chosen was what was in their minds when they started to picture people's Jesus's followers and I've seen so many times over the last few years where my way the, the decisions I was going to make were pushed aside or they didn't come to fruition or something happened and every single time what God did was so much better than I would have done and it's made me realize not only the fear of being responsible to tell these stories but the joy of knowing that uh, I don't know that God's got this and um, it's not something I usually talk about publicly, but it's, it's something I hope that the viewers feel reassured by is that 
Um, ultimately, I'm surrendered, and I take myself back to that moment in, in Magdala, a very humble place. Uh, and that's the heart of the show, is Jesus did not come with a big crown and a scepter and lording over everybody and saying, I'm building uh, a new kingdom here on earth, and let's get rid of the Romans and the oppression, and now follow me, and I'm going to lead you to battle. He was the opposite. He was humble, and um, he even said, I'm lowly at heart, which means kind of, and, and translated in the Greek, can mean low to the ground. And uh, being in Magdalene, the, the, the lowly birthplace of Mary Magdalene, and being, that's where I met God more than almost any place in Israel, I think is uh, one of the reasons why the show is where it is, is because we're going to remain surrendered, remain humble, no matter what happens. And uh, that's a promise I made to him, and it's a promise I make to the viewers as well. Well, it's fitting then that the series begins in that little town with a scene with Mary Magdalene and her father. And we were yep. there as well. And I can attest to what a moving place it is. And I really, you know, since we got back, I just want to, you know, share that with everyone that it, if you can go, it is, it is an experience that is just so amazing. And I know that they really want you to bring the whole cast there because that's what they told me <laughs> when I was there. We're doing there. that. Um, we're doing that. When are we're you doing that do in that? the fall, actually. Oh, so that's we're going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep us posted. Um, Dallas, thank you so much for your time today and uh, for the gift of, of The Chosen, which I think is just an extraordinary piece of work. And, you know, know that everybody's praying for you and uh, keep up the good work. And I hope we can continue our conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Martha. We'll, uh, we'll do this for uh, season four next year. Look forward to it. Thank you very much, Dallas yeah. Jenkins, creator of The Chosen. Thanks, Dallas. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.